Hi, folks. Welcome to Agency Unfiltered, the solutions partner podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Dunn, and Agency Unfiltered is a weekly web series and podcast that interviews the owners, founders, and executives of agencies and services providers from around the world about whatever it takes to grow and scale. Episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. Today on the show, we have Anangin Bioru, Chief Customer Experience Officer of Avidly. For longtime fans of the show, we had Ingen on the show all the way back in March of 2019, episode number six. So she joins us this week to highlight, well, what's changed since then. And most notably, Avidly has restructured their C-suite and both added and redesigned roles and responsibilities, including a chief revenue officer, a chief technology officer, and a chief customer experience officer. We learn about the teams that these folks both build and manage, the focus areas and points of strategy that fall under their purview, and the impact that they drive for avidly internally, naturally, but also for their prospects and for their customers. Ingen and I also discuss consistency. Avidly has grown substantially through acquisitions and expansion into new regions and countries globally. So Ingen shares the importance behind consistency between these teams when differences and distinctions between teams is actually a positive and how they ensure consistency when it's required, knowing that that team is distributed internationally. She also shares stories from when they've run into issues with inconsistencies between teams and what valuable lessons those experiences created. Want an inside look at how the three-time HubSpot Partner of the Year thinks about their C-suite and their internationally distributed team? Well, look no further than Agency Unfiltered. Ingen, welcome back to Agency Unfiltered. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, excited to be back. You know, I uh, right before we jumped onto this call, I was like, when was the, the date? Uh, like, when was the previous Avidly episode? Uh, and, you know, you were episode number six. Uh, so one of, the found, one of the earlier episodes, obviously. I think now we're at, this will be 70-something, I think. But that was March 2019. Yeah, so a couple of years. And I honestly think we had recorded that maybe a few months even before that. So it's it's certainly been quite a while. Um, so it's good to have you back. Thank you. Now, I think a lot has happened. So it'll be exciting to dive into to all of the changes. You know, I can only imagine. Um, so maybe, you know, that's a really great jumping off point. Since March 2019 or potentially even earlier, uh, since the last time we've heard from you, what has changed and what's the latest uh, with Avidly? Yeah, I think uh, last time we talked a lot about the mergers and acquisitions and uh, Avidly being amongst uh, the first ones to to go down that path in, in the sure. HubSpot community. Um, and since then, our strategy has really evolved as well. Um, I think that comes with it for all companies. Uh, HubSpot certainly has evolved a lot. We have to keep up with that. So we uh, we really saw a shift from back then offering uh, mainly marketing or marketing hub and services along that um, and talking to other agencies doing the same. Uh, we we looked at the markets we're in, the potential mm-hmm. that HubSpot was drumming up and said, look, we really need to make a move here. So 
now we've evolved our strategy to work along all parts uh, the HubSpot delivered, all the hubs, um, and really work a lot more in the sales CRM segment, uh, work a lot with the technical parts and integrations, um, and really diving into operations. So it's it's been a huge step up from us from from being more of a marketing agency to, to really yeah. do, yeah, developing. So it sounds like a lot of the change was triggered or just directionally aligned with what you saw the HubSpot platform doing, where the functionality was going, target markets were potentially going, um, which I think a, a number of solutions partners can likely empathize. Now, by no means is this the topic of the episode, but I have to ask as we were there, how has that transition from primarily marketing to sales-based, CRM-based, operations-focused, how has that transition uh, generally been for, for the team? I think the team has really loved it and embraced it um, to all their credit. Uh, we have in many of our locations, people who have exclusively worked on marketing before. Uh, they have never touched the CRM. They've never thought about integrations, but uh, the way we can work with it when we work with HubSpot, I think it's the same that triggers clients that uh, mm -hmm. use HubSpot. It's easy um, and you can really draw the whole um connection from the marketing to the sales and how it's all connected so most of the team has found it really interesting of course some have found it challenging um but we do still have marketing roles so that there's always those aren't going away sure um, right. they're, they're really not and i, I th yeah. think that change has also helped um people grow into new specialties so some mm -hmm. have obviously become even more uh, tailored towards the marketing uh, hub and and that area and some have stepped into these new areas that's great. Uh, you know, maybe we won't wait three years for the the, the trilogy episode, um, but learning more about uh, the training and the upskilling and like, how did you build traditional marketers into CRM minded folks, integration or architecturally minded folks? Uh, I feel like there's just so much to unpack there. Um, now, uh, speaking of acquisitions, obviously, we know Avidly is a distributed team uh, in a number of different pockets on the globe. Uh, between our previous episode and today, where is Avidly operating? Have there been additional countries or focus areas? Uh, what is what is the the uh, span of Avidly services look like today? So, when it comes to locations, since we spoke, we have grown within Finland, where we were already based. Um, we had and still have our operations in Norway, Sweden, Denmark, um, but we've also added Germany. Uh, so we're now based out of Munich uh, with obviously a few people around the rest of Germany as well, but mainly in in Munich. And uh, then around Christmas, as a good Christmas uh, gift for for everyone, we uh, were lucky enough to get uh, Digital Tool 22 on board. Um, so that's an amazing team out of the UK and yeah. now Halifax in Canada, actually. So, yeah, uh, breaching into North America as well. Um, Very exciting. And we've had the uh, the guys from Digital 22 on a previous episode. So fans of the show, we're fans of them. Um, yeah, feels like a great partnership there as well. Yeah. Um, now, uh, uh, diving in more specifically, I think, at the topic that you and I had discussed, uh, and this feels like um, intentional based on you know the changes that you saw directionally of HubSpot, the changes that you wanted to make within your organization. But it sounds like avidly... Uh, has also restructured their C-suite uh, and their executive level, and they've added some roles, uh, each with their own specific, you know, responsibilities and purviews. 
and so what are those three roles? Um, and you know, were there any other considerations as to like why, what sparked uh, that rethinking or restructure of the, the sea level? Yeah, I think for us, it came along with the evolvement of our strategy. So we had very traditional C-suite with a CEO, a CFO, uh, and a COO. Um, we actually had two COOs for a while, um, <laughs> me being one of them. Uh, and that was just based on how we were structured at the time um, yeah. while we were merging. So um, as we took the step last summer to, to have one COO, we also thought, this is the time to take our strategy, look at the responsibilities in the C-suite mm-hmm. and make sure that we have people at the table with the right responsibilities. Um, I do think though that obviously we talk C-suite, we're now a larger company, but this comes down to the same responsibilities as uh, smaller agencies probably would consider. Mm-hmm. Um and having people at the table that care about what your company needs to care about to evolve. Very true. Um, so I think, yeah, we ex- we expanded the management team, uh, but it was a lot about the directions we were taking. So mm-hmm. first of all, we added a CRO, a chief revenue officer. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, that is someone I think a lot of people in the uh, HubSpot community actually knows, which is Barbara Fagerbach. Um, she was uh, my co-founder for the Norwegian office. I'd say back in the day, it's it's not that it's that many years ago, but it feels <laughs> a lifetime ago already. Um, the speed in which things change, right? That's the thing, yeah. And I think for everyone, there's been a lot of change over the past few years. So it feels much longer than it perhaps has actually been in, in, in years. So um, she was one of the first ones to sell HubSpot in Norway uh, when, when it kind of became available. And... She has a lot of knowledge about how to enter into new markets, uh, when HubSpot is the best fit. So um, she's heading up our marketing and sales Mm. across the whole group. Um, And before this was done uh, locally in each country, uh, but as we grow, we we did need someone um, at the table who were going to have that focus, be able to pull everyone together. Um, and that's had a huge impact on our sales so far. Um, so like the global strategy. Obviously, there's going to be leaders in each region, but yeah, 100%. Exactly. Yeah, we have country managers, we have local sales managers, um, and same for marketing. Um, but now we had someone who had that global responsibility. And uh, that has, yeah, had a huge impact on our numbers, first and foremost, but also on the way we work with HubSpot, having the ability to have that uh, global focus uh, mm-hmm. will make a difference. So that's great. Um, so that's for revenue. And then we decided to add a chief uh, technology officer, which uh, again is someone that's been with Avidly from the beginning. Um, Jonas Kumlander, who founded what's now the Swedish office. And I hope I'm not getting uh, this completely wrong, but I think it's about 20 years ago since Jonas actually started what's the Swedish office today. Yeah, wow. Um, and they've been a very technical office that involved into marketing. And then uh, obviously now part of Avidly, we as a group are evolving into more of a technical company again. Yep. Um, so he's definitely the right person in that seat uh, with deep insight into CRM integrations and the tech that we need to consider. Um, so again, a good fit for us to to have there. Um, and I think, yeah, lastly, we added a chief customer experience officer, which is myself. <laughs> so, Congrats. Uh, yeah. yeah thank you. Um, 
I, I love being able to take the experience I have from our operations over the past five years almost now mm-hmm. um, and turning that into a focus on customer experience. And I think we see that more and more. I know HubSpot has made a similar move. Um, I see other agencies in this space as well really focusing on customer experience. Um, and I know we'll come back to this more, but um, I think focusing on that uh, in the C-suite means that we could really crystallize the responsibility around existing business and the growth for that. So you could say that Barbara will focus on new business and obviously mm. together we then work on the existing business and the growth in that area. Yeah, no, that's a really helpful way to think about it, that that division. Um, now, uh, I do want to spend some time really digging into each of those three roles, um, uh, CRO, CTO, and then CXO. So we'll, we'll do that in a minute. Now, um, occasionally we, I go down rabbit holes, but you, the, the point in which at one point in time, there was two chief operating officers and that opened up the door here for me to just ask like, uh, uh, be that, but as you just expand globally and look to integrate teams, uh, how does, where and how does consistency come into play? And did you run into any friction or having two COOs or having two different, you know, regional offices with their own processes and playbooks? Like where and how does consistency uh, manifest for avidly? Have you run into problems historically? How do you mitigate those risks uh, around inconsistency, if that makes sense? If you'll indulge my my rabbit hole question. <laughs> Absolutely. I think consistency is key. So it's an important question to cover as well. And maybe it comes in a little bit with the difference of actually merging companies together and having partnerships. Uh, we do both. Um, and when we do partnerships, obviously the delivery can be different because it's delivered by a different company with different processes. Um, when we merge, they become much more similar. I'm not saying they are completely standardized and the same because mm-hmm. a customer will have different needs. So um, they'll always be tailoring, but that consistency will be more easily available um, when we're one company. Um, and being in seven markets, I mean, we deliver to companies worldwide. We have mm-hmm. talents working from worldwide, especially after the pandemic, uh, they can be seated anywhere. Sure. So we really try to use this opportunity to take the best ideas that we can find and learn from the things that go wrong to create that good customer experience. Um, and that's the consistency we aim for. Yeah. Um, when it comes to running into problems, I wouldn't say that was as much having two COOs. Um, I was very lucky when I had that role because I was working with uh, Tea in Finland who um, very much had a similar vision to me on how we were going to grow. Um, the split we had at the time was Finland and then the rest of our markets because mm. in Finland we also deliver more traditional marketing. So, Um, more on the PR side, crisis communication, package design. These are services that are available Mm -hmm. uh, to the other markets as well, but we predominantly sell them in Finland. So that's why we had that split. Hmm, Makes sense. Um, But again, didn't run into that many um, issues there. Um, Maybe a better example was when we were very early on in the stages of adding a new um, office and 
before we had even gotten I mean a merger is a long process uh, for those who have been involved in it it's detailed and long and uh, we have definitely learned what needs to come first in such a process um, and assessing the pipeline and uh, what uh, clients are being worked and what pitches are being sent out needs to be done early and frequently throughout mm. such a process and um, this is where we had uh, a company approach us in two separate locations because we were different companies at the time, um, if, at least from their, their point right, of view. Sure, right. Yep. At the initial point of outreach, right? Yeah. Initial point. Um, mm-hmm. But by the time we pitched, we were all avidly. Hmm. So um, they ended up receiving, because we had two different uh, contact people that we spoke to in that company. So slightly different briefs were given. And uh, by the end of it, we gave two pitches and two prices because we were talking to different people. You competed against yourself. Yeah. And they turned around and said, but aren't you avidly? We were like, yes, yes, we are. Um, There was nothing wrong with either solution. Um, They they fitted the, the brief that was given at the other end, but... Um, obviously that is not something we have done ever again. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. That's the type of lesson you just learn once you're like, you know what, maybe, yeah, yeah. Uh, consistent pipeline review on the early stages of a merger is, is the top priority here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's something that, you know, when you're working even in a partnership, that kind of stuff is, is really important because once the client hears that, that's a partner of yours. They expect you to be pitching in the same way uh, and come up with the same solutions. So, um, yeah, that that's definitely something we've learned from, <laughs> and something that maybe if you haven't already made that mistake, then just learn from us. <laughs> yes, see, that's the type of content I love. Not to say I want you know partners to go through those types of headaches, um, but it's always just so interesting, and there's always just impactful learnings and takeaways from them. You know, did that prospect? Did they just pick the lower price of the two? No, we actually pulled them back in. Uh, we explained uh, what had happened and showed them the briefs uh, that we had been given and where there was uh, a difference. And we said that, look, uh, these are both good solutions, but you need to actually tell us what the priority is. Uh, and they ended up going with uh, with the other solution. So it uh, wasn't the price good. at the end of it the day. It was more just what's more reflective of the needs yeah, cited in the brief, right? Yeah, and I think I think for most clients at the end of the day, that will be the most important as long as they understand what they need, which can sure. obviously be a problem. Well, that's a whole other that's a whole other topic of an episode in and of itself, right? Um, but it, it's such an interesting story. And candidly, yeah, I mean that those types of mitigating those types of inconsistencies, I can imagine, is uh, one of the primary drivers of having a chief experience officer and a chief revenue officer who can set the global strategy for marketing and sales. So it makes a, a ton of sense as to what you're prioritizing um, today. Uh, yeah, speaking I, of which, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I think when when we do mergers and things like that, I, um, as the CXO, was heavily involved in the merger with Digital 22 and obviously uh, an amazing agency already in their own right, which is why we were talking to them about um, an, an acquisition. So when we went ahead and looked at how we were going to come together we don't just say, this is the Avidly playbook, go ahead, implement this. We assess what is going really well um, and together with them, what is perhaps not going as well um, and what should we take away and implement in Avidly. So 
that whole process where wherever we've gone in has always been collaborative because we certainly don't have it all figured out. So although there's there's an avidly playbook and we call it the avidly way, that is constantly invo- evolving, uh, especially based on learnings like this and and the involvement of the services we do. So I think uh, we, we're really lucky to have connected with, with good agencies, both in partnerships and, and mergers around that. Yeah. No, it's a really it's a great frame of reference in that process improvement is bi-directional when a merger acquisition happens. And so to your point, hey, we're not going to uh, anchor you and onboard you to the avidly way, but we're open to hearing what's working really well for you. Maybe that informs our process. Um, and it also sounds like in, in some nuanced ways, inconsistency doesn't always mean bad or derogatory, right? It's okay if there are some minor inconsistencies as it relates to you know, teams and their operating models and what's going well or how they're planning to go to market, et cetera. So inconsistency as a word doesn't have to mean bad all the time, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's what we see time and time again, really. So we're, we're all about creating that kind of base uh, with different components that you can plug and play with and then constantly evolving that. I mean, we, we added the role of service owners um, now recently where we have, I think, about 12 people across all of Avidly who own a category of services and will focus on the improvement of that. And Love they that. have all the specialists with them on involving that service. Um, and I think that's going to be a key driver for us going forward to to have ownership around that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, it sounds like a great like tier of role. It's super impactful. Um, going to the three uh new roles at the executive level i'd love to just open up each uh, again if you'll indulge me i think the order in which you've you gave them to me well, i think that's the order i'll use and you started with the chief revenue officer you talked about global strategy for marketing and sales um how else would you explain uh their focus areas what is what is their day-to-day what are the big boulders they're trying to move on a weekly monthly quarterly basis what falls under the purview of that chief revenue officer role for Avidly? I think the the first part is really building out our sales team. Um, we have um, salespeople in the different locations, but we also use our what we call specialists. So the the subject matter specialist in the sales process. I think that's very common for for a lot of HubSpot agencies. Um, so we're really now working on structuring that even better going forward um, and tailoring it to the different markets because in some markets. Uh, we need a lot more pure salespeople. Mm. Um, and in other markets, uh, the specialists will will drive the sales a little bit more. So again, depending on the market. Um, but we do also see that um, having that focus compared to in the past where, yeah, we've sold and we've sold well, um, but we haven't necessarily um, had a core sales team that has, has been driving together in the same direction across the global mm. uh, uh, avidly in such mm-hmm. a sense so that's a huge shift um and i think a, a big change in how we also work with hubspot because we can dedicate more time to working with the direct team and working with the specialists or working with the product team to to really dive in in the different areas so that's the kind of sales component part of it mm-hmm. um I'm really doing a lot of things we do for our clients, you know, um, doing the sales enablement, cleaning up CR, our own CRM, <laughs> um, all of these things. So, um, so that that's the fun sale. stuff. Yeah, the, the fun stuff. Yeah, 
<laughs> Luckily, we have some people internally that do love that stuff. So, <laughs> um, so they have that uh, going on. And then on the marketing side, we have always had people in each location who run their local marketing mm-hmm. um, and done so very well with great success. But we can see um, as a, a bigger company, huge efficiencies and learnings from having a global uh, marketing team. So obviously those responsible locally come together as that marketing team. Uh, but then we also have a couple of people who are working with Barbara to gather the marketing kind of across all of Avidly. So doing events that we can replicate in the other countries or doing uh, podcast video series, mm-hmm. things that we can use across really. Um, so we, we are also producing, uh, more in English now that we obviously have a, a an English hub. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that makes it a little bit easier. We can't always use, uh, the same content as efficiently if it's say in, in Finnish, uh, across to Denmark, uh, or sure. vice versa. So it takes a bit more work, but you know, we this- can empathize with the, uh, the localization efforts, obviously, you know, we, HubSpot Academy will have a certification course in, English and we want to make sure it's replicated appropriately in French and German. But yes, I think some languages uh, on either side of that localization. Yes, some are easier than others, of course. Right. Yeah, I think uh, I think I touched on it back in the podcast in 2019. And one of the did you listen to that as prep for this? I went back and read uh, the very last one. I could not bring myself to <laughs> to listen to the whole thing. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's a hard. It's the hardest part. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but I, I I read the very end of the transcript and it just said that one of the strange things, uh, being a part of, of our avidly having merged together some countries, was that uh, the Nordic countries are perhaps more culturally different and mm. language different than a lot of. Um, outside countries might think they, they think Norway, Sweden, Denmark, perhaps also Finland is the same pretty much. They just bundle people just gravitate towards bundling together. But yeah, yeah, yeah it's the same. Um, <laughs> but I, I think uh, that's, that's where we already, you know, you already hit a language barrier and we were already using uh, English quite a lot. Um, but then you, like you said, you need to, to translate the content to, to be used in the local markets. And that mm-hmm. takes up a, a lot of time if it's uh, produced in a in a different local language first rather sure. than English because yeah. most of the Nordic countries can use English content while waiting for the translation. Oh, um, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so there's no like interim or stopgap solution, right? So it's yeah, yeah. No. Like if we if we do like this podcast in English will be used in our marketing. Um, that's not an issue for for any of those markets. So. Um. You know, it's uh, and it's not just the the translation of the language too, but to your point, there's cultural differences. I would imagine the way in which you talk about certain strategies or the the needs of various businesses or the perception of certain strategy. You know, like it's not just the word for word translation, right? As as I mean, you know, probably yeah. more than than I, but to to some extent. But then that's also perhaps even more industry specific. So. Mm. Um, I would say that a company in, in Germany and a company in the UK can be very similar if they're in the same industry, especially I would say there was a shift during COVID on this, mm-hmm. um, where, uh, they all had to adapt to a more global market space and more digital transition and, and space. So, um, you see more industry similarities and a small breakdown at least of those uh, cultural differences from country to country. Hmm. Um, they're definitely still there on certain things. I think uh, 
legal uh, areas, for example, sure. can be quite different. Um, some countries are very strict. GDPR, for example, is, yep, is different within Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so we still see those differences, and that's um, that's definitely something you learn a lot about um, working in the C-suite of Avidly is, <laughs> is those differences. And perhaps one of the most chaotic times during COVID was figuring out how we can support our teams and what support was available in each country because it was completely different. So, mm. um, yeah, the, there's constant uh, learnings around that, but that's part of the kind of interesting challenge, I'd say. Yeah, right. And I think just uh, that sounds like the the complex, nuanced challenge uh, that makes a ton of sense for somebody in a, like a CRO, CRO role to solve, right? Okay, how do we make this globally more broadly? uh applicable how do we take things that worked in one region and apply it to other regions so how can we like you know stand like scale those to reach a wider audience but it sounds like too just to briefly go back to the sales side uh role allocation the types of sales needs and the folks in various roles of sales need by region those those are the are what's within kind of the scope of of the cro role if that reflective of how you'd see it yeah yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, going over to the uh, uh, CTO, so Chief Technology Officer, obviously, uh, I can hypothesize, we talked about direction of HubSpot, direction of Avidly, CRM and integrations. Like my hypothesis is sure, like those types of solutions for clients falls under this person's purview. Uh, what about Avidly's own tech stack and the systems and the processes around your system? Is that is that also here in the org chart? Yeah, you're kind of spot on. It's it's both internal and external. So figuring out what is it that our clients need and, and being ahead of the curve on that and and developing that. But also internally, um, as we grow, we really need to assess the technologies we used. Um, we obviously anchor a lot around HubSpot, uh, but there's other systems we need to assess as well. Um, and also how, how are we going to use HubSpot uh, is, is a big part of this. Um, so, so Jonas definitely has his hands full, uh, <laughs> when it comes to this role. So, um, yeah, assessing that for, for all our markets. And again, we come back to the legal issues of using one system, uh, in one country cannot be used in another. Uh, does it merge well with the finance system, uh, pay systems? So, um, yeah, there's a lot for him to figure out. And at the same time, uh, he will be focusing on building out our tech organization. So, that's, uh, I'd say, almost threefold. It's uh, both hiring, um, finding the right talents, which can be a huge challenge. In some of our markets, it's near impossible. Um, That's been a recurring hire. theme in some recent episodes of this podcast is that there, the general sentiment here is there's a talent, there's a talent shortage. There's a gap of product and technolo- technological expertise and kind of where, where HubSpot you know, uh, experts are today. Right. And it sounds like Avidly's feeling that as well. Absolutely. And I, I think that's where we um, now try to take um, a, a new approach to it where, yes, we will be hunting and hiring as, as best as possible. Um, we will be partnering and uh, nearshoring with uh, other HubSpot agencies that have that talent or other partners that might have that talent. Um, but lastly, we also want to make sure that we divvy up the responsibility within the organization. So mm. when we say tech talent, that's not necessarily always a developer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we have hired a lot of project managers that have um, run CRM projects in the past and make sure that we train them and expand their knowledge. So um, now everyone in our markets are going to be grabbing the same people. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that is, it's a game changer because you don't want to have your um, project manager have to turn to a developer uh, or someone, a technical specialist, for every right. single question they have. The context, um, the cognitive load is would be too much to bear, right? It's too much. And I think we, we want our developers to focus on developing um, and the project managers to push the projects forward and work with the clients. And I think for the customer experience, it's important that uh, the person they talk to the most can answer some of those basic questions. So again, that's back to the training and development of the team and where we've also seen most of our team really stepping up and being interested in that part of it. So mm. that's going to be um, a lot of work for you and us in the, in the next few years. But uh, yeah, we definitely see that that's going to be important. You know, labeling it a tech team is so interesting in that like technical is just, we're seeing it in real time. The definition is changing, right? Because you, you made this point is that, you know, technical isn't just a synonym for a developer. And even the role of a developer is changing as we know it, right? Oh, CMS development, helping us, you know, the themes, the modules, the drag and drop so our marketers can go build. Um, But it's like, okay, uh, how familiar are they with the APIs and connecting these tech stacks and making the data flow appropriately and extending the platform in in custom ways. So uh, all of these roles are, are changing. The project manager is interesting in that, like they're technical in that they, I would imagine they have to like tee these developers up. Like they need to design or architect whatever these solutions are in a way to enable your development team. Uh, is is uh, actually this might go back to the comment on upskilling. Is that the development plan of existing team members? Does that fall under the CTO as well? Like how to get folks in a position to deliver that role effectively? Yeah. So it's it's ensuring that those project managers that we use on those type of projects can answer basic questions um, and know what questions to ask so that they know when to bring in the developer or solution architects. Sure. Um, so, so we obviously have that role as well. Um, we we never have enough of them. So <laughs> and that's, that's back to getting more. But we, we do see that really um, enabling those technical project managers to have that conversation with the client to understand, okay, I will bring that conversation in. Um, I think you can say the same when when you talk to a client about HubSpot the first time, you need to have someone facing the client who, who knows how to explain HubSpot. And it's the same with then when you dive into the more technical part, you need someone who can answer those questions and say, look, these are questions I need to have answered from your company before mm-hmm. I can bring in a specialist on this. So yep. is that the role of the project manager or the, archi- the solutions architect? We'll start with the project manager if they're sure. already talking to them. If yep. we're already pitching a technical They're the solution, first line of defense for these types yeah. of questions, sure. Yeah, if they're yep. already on the project. If it's a new client, then the solution architect will often be involved in, in the pitch itself. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Makes a ton of sense. Um and all of this, uh, it's exciting challenges and an exciting team to build out all under the CTO here. Um, you had mentioned, uh, I don't mean to take us back a half step, but obviously the legalities and the nuances of determining systems and softwares to use uh, in various geographies and regions. Um, does the does the CTO role or does Avidly look for systems to be rolled out across the whole team or do different regional pockets have 
you know, slightly different tech stacks or nuanced tech stacks? You know, how do you how do you balance global rollout versus regional specific tech stacks, if that makes sense? Um, yeah, I think it's definitely a balance. We don't choose just one system uh, that fits everywhere. We need to make sure that it takes into account those local uh, differences, if you will. So, and again, that goes both for ourselves. Uh, we have uh, different systems for the same purpose in different countries because the laws are different. Sure. And basically, like, is it even something that, is it an option to roll out globally? If not, how do we find, yeah, regionally appropriate, uh, like, systems that meet the same requirements or do the same function. Exactly. And then it's back to finding out how do we pull the data from that and compile it in an efficient and and easy way. And for us, that's that's still a process. That's still something we're going through and and refining again and again. Uh, And I think that's the same for our clients. So it gives us a a good understanding, I think, of what the client goes through because we, we need to reassess. We need to make sure the whole team knows what systems are being used and they're training them to the, to the level that they need to be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think our entire team will have an understanding and maybe compassion even for the client and what they will be going through. Right. You're building empathy for the same types of problems and challenges and pain points that your clients have, right? That you're being hired to potentially solve. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. Um, all right, let's get to you, Avidly CXO. Uh, what's under your purview? What do you... What are you? Uh, what do you care the most about in this function? What are you hoping to solve? Um, tell me more. Yeah. So when you say what falls under the the preview, you're of like the, a little bit of everything, to be honest. But yeah, that's the thing. And I, I think that's why maybe the transition going from operations is reasonably smooth because operations is often everything falls into that bucket. Um, but it, it's a little bit the same here. It's it's from the first touch point to a client that is raving about us because they were so happy. So the entire customer journey. Um, And that means obviously working closely with the rest of the C-suite and the rest of our management team and and everyone in the organization to make sure that in all of our markets, the customer has the best possible customer experience. Um, We we want anyone to, whether a customer or not really, if they're in touch with Avidly to walk away and say, yeah, they're, they're good people. Uh, they know what what they're doing Um, and I think what I really want to achieve is that Avidly runs so smoothly that the customer doesn't think about it they think about their results they think about um, how how their outcomes are but they don't think about how we run that process because it was so smooth right Um, and I'm not saying we're there yet we have a lot of things to improve um, but that's definitely what I, I want to achieve with this so um, coming into it with a deep understanding for our customer, um, but also realizing that we need to dig even deeper. So we've done a lot of market research, working with HubSpot on this as well, because we're in the same markets. So talking mm-hmm. about experiences have been crucial, and we do that with other partners as well. Um, love having conversations with the partner community overall about what they've seen with their clients and the challenges they might have run into um and when you have the benefit of working across the markets that we do we can uh, speed up that learning um and i love to have those conversations with other partners as well so uh, when people listen to this they can reach out i do really want to hear more um so yeah digging in with the client um also like we touched on ensuring we have the right talent in place so together with uh, lena who's heading up our hr uh we 
really focus on the training and the opportunities that we give to our team. So obviously we're hiring uh, as fast as we can, but we also want to make sure that the team that we have um, have the best skills and development opportunities um, and that they can focus on delivering um, what they're going to deliver. So that's a huge part of it. Um, I think lastly, also the the more kind of common customer experience path, like the MPS, customer service, customer interviews. Um, we've been looking at what have we learned from our different markets and how can we standardize it across now. Um, so we're moving towards having more of the same way of measuring in, in all our locations. We've been testing, uh, wanting to make sure that we we knew how to get the best possible data, both good and bad from our clients. Um, and then uh, since Christmas, myself and a couple of other teammates have been doing customer interviews. Um, we've been doing these in the past, but not in as a structured way. And I think this is one of the things that I would just highly recommend. If you're not already doing it, do it. Um, How would some... you define structure? Like what, what what's changed now uh, if you classify it as like a structured way? Is it the cadence, the questions you ask? Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I think in the past, the people working on a project would talk to the customer. Um, now it's someone who's not involved, who has perhaps never spoken to that client before or, you know, has not been in the daily delivery, um, will call up the customer and have that conversation. Mm. Um, we have a list of questions, but we often go uh, <laughs> way beyond that conversation. It sounds like a podcast, I know. It's pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and we focus on both uh, happy customers. So calling up those who have given us a great MPS. Maybe they've recently um, left us a review uh, in the HubSpot directory and just checking in to see, okay, what actually went so well that you were so excited so that we can amplify that. Do it more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and because I think we, uh, we as many others, focus a lot on what went wrong with our clients, but actually we need to make sure that we keep doing what goes well. Fair. Yes. Great call. And then we talk to what we classified as a churned customer. And in this context, that's someone who hasn't bought anything for the last three months. So not very long. Um, but we want to use this as a re-engagement tool as well. Um, and it's an amazing upselling tool. Um, several of those conversation results in the client just being allowed to talk to someone who wasn't involved in what went wrong, but can understand and see, okay, yeah, that's that's definitely what we did wrong. Um, in the future, we will do it more like this, kind of explaining yeah. How, well, the objective, you, the objective kind of lens, but also someone that can drive action orientation to fix, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And um, and the response both from the customers on this and the the team at the other end has been really good. Um, and it's brought back uh, quite a few clients already who are saying, "Well, we did want to keep working with you. It was just a snag here, or this didn't fit us quite right." So, um, it's definitely doing it more structured like this and making sure that we do uh, a set number for each uh, country um, for each month um, has really brought that deep insight uh, both into the market, um, how we deliver as a team, and then bringing back customers that we might uh, be close to losing. Mm. I love the, the, it's how it's doubly beneficial. Obviously you want, uh, 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 
customers to inform or just, you know, churn customers are happy regardless, customers to inform opportunities for improvement. But yeah, it's also a tool for re-engagement, for saving potential uh, future churn. Yeah, I love that. So it sounds like your scope is uh, journey mapping every single touch point, uh, identifying opportunities for improvement, hiring the best team to execute the strategy on top of it and finding the barometers and measurements for uh, how it's going. Yeah, it sounds all all within you know, that's a manageable scope. Yeah. 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 It's really simple. Uh, yeah. No, I, I do love it. And I think uh, being able to, to work so closely with the customer and the team from the, from that point of view is hugely rewarding. Uh, if I look at it from a personal perspective and um, with Avidly being nearly 300 uh, people, uh, this role really uh, helps me to to be in touch with with more people as well, and yeah. uh, we have a very interesting team. We were just gathered in um, in Finland before the summer. Um, finally, after COVID, flying everyone in and and meeting. And I think um, in in this role, I I do have the excuse to to talk to absolutely everyone. Which uh, yeah, it's That's it's great. Yeah. Um, are you able, do you have a, an example you could share of something you uncovered as an opportunity, whether it came from a happy client or a recently churned client and how that informed how you change or, or like how it informed your process or how it updated or helped optimize the process? Is there any citable example you have there? Yeah, I would say we had a client that had churned right before Christmas um, they'd uh, moved on to a different uh, partner. They, you know, it was an amicable, amicable breakup, if, if you will. Um, we couldn't meet their needs at the time. Um, they needed to move on because they were f- moving fast, scaling. Um, so we said, good, you guys should move on. Uh, here's a few recommendations, as we always do. Um, and uh, I came in and had the um, customer interview with with this customer a few months ago. And um, they were quite interested in the new setup of Avidly, the new services we we are now providing. And the issue at the time was, one, we didn't have the scale within the services that they needed in the location we were in. Um, and two, we had very set uh, processes due to capacity. We needed to stick to, to a certain way of delivering what they were looking for. And that wouldn't suit them because they needed someone who could change something within a day and jump on a quick thing. And although that's um, that's something we, we do a lot in, in every location, at the time that wasn't possible for that specific uh, studio to do. Um, and as we were talking, I said, look, well, we are now even bigger. We have more specialists. Um, and it resulted in another sales call where they really outlined their new strategy because they had also changed. Um, so it's just opening that up and we were quite honest from our side about where we still uh, thought we could not meet their needs, um, but we knew who to partner with to do so. Um, so it's it's taken our step back. And like I said, we talk to clients who maybe haven't bought something in three months. It could be six months, but both for us as a company and for the client at the other end, so much could have changed by then. Um, so I think, yeah, keeping keeping on top of your clients a bit, even if they, they haven't stayed in touch can be so crucial. Yeah. And it just sounds like an opportunity to like reorient expectations on both sides, uh, scope and things we can deliver strategies for things that might fall out of our current scope. 
uh, and just have like it, it opens transparency and just like free flowing communication that feels uh, effective. Right. That's, that's helpful yeah. information to, to have. Um, we're uh, officially out of time. Um, I know you looked at uh, your previous episodes transcript, the last, uh, uh, the last question or so there, but we still use that question. Uh, so maybe the answer has changed. Uh, what is the strangest part of agency life? Yes. I think, yeah, like I said last time, I spoke a little bit about how we were perhaps more different than expected. Um, but I, as I mentioned earlier, I've definitely seen a shift in our markets where companies have become more global. They're more digital. Uh, they really transformed during the pandemic and the aftermath of that. And although deliveries are never copy-paste, there's always tailoring um we can definitely see that um companies are becoming more similar as long as they're within a similar industry across different markets um and i think that was a maybe a surprising shift for me and a, a strange shift that happened and you actually only get to see that if you're an agency you don't see that when you're in the company uh, box at the other end uh, they will always feel like uh, they're the most unique with the most unique challenges so um it's strange and i do love that about uh, an agency life that you get to see those those shifts in the markets yeah it's and again to your point it's something that you won't be super cognizant of unless you're in this type of like agency environment or agency function yeah that's great um well uh thank you again for for coming on uh always a pleasure to chat with you. Such insightful information. Thanks for sharing the C-suite at Avidly and uh, roles, responsibilities, uh, super helpful stuff. So thanks again for coming on. Thank you. And for everyone tuning in, this has been another episode of Agency Unfiltered.